Well, there was a time this week when I considered changing up this morning's scripture lesson because in light of financial difficulties, a global pandemic, a polar vortex in May, massive fires along the panhandle, and the arrival of Tracker Jacker Murder Wasp, the ten plagues in Exodus seemed a lot more appropriate than First Peter. Uh, I've actually kind of had to stop reading the headlines because if that's plague 10, 9, 8, and 7, I don't want to see what 6 through 1 is going to be like. Uh, life together this first year of ministry at First Methodist has been absolutely unbelievable. What a joy, what a thrill. We have faced so much and we are facing so much, but that's like life. Sometimes the seasons are smooth sailing and sometimes they're peculiar. Oftentimes life is treacherous, but right now it just seems that life is playing so unfairly with all of us. Murder wasps? Really? I mean, who throws that headline into a global pandemic? I mean, come on, right? So we're starting this new series, Unshakable, and it cannot come at a more appropriate time, I think. This time when we are separated still, maybe for less time than we had imagined, maybe not. We shall see. We're working on that this week, by the way. But the series works like this. Today, we're talking about an unshakable foundation. Next week, an unshakable defense and then unshakable trust, and then an unshakable spirit. Post-resurrection gives us this sense of competence, of rootedness, of, of, um, of standing on the firm foundation. First Peter is probably not exactly uh, your go-to book of the Bible uh, when times become shaky, maybe like Philippians or Ephesians or, or one of the Gospels is. And, and what I just read very well could be the most familiar passage from Peter to uh, so many of us. Uh, but there's several jumping off points uh, in this text. They're all just so brilliant, so spend some time with those. But, but first Peter has something that I think is so important, a couple of things that are so important uh, to a church that maybe feels a little shaky right now because of what's happening on the world, in the world, but knowing that we stand on this firm foundation of Christ. And the very first thing is, Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That is great news. Because once we were kicked out, but now God takes us in. Or once our families turned our back on us, and now we are part of the family of God. Or, or once you identified with the kingdoms of this world, but now you are a child of the kingdom of God. Or once you walked in darkness, but now you walked in light. You heard that too. Or once you were entombed just like Jesus, but now you're rising up like Jesus to overcome the stones of suffering and defeat and oppression and violence and addiction and lack of purpose, and all those stones are being rolled away. In a short while, we will say, once there was a period where we were cut off from one another by this virus, but now we're being built into this spiritual house together, and it's happening even today. Even today, momentum continues to gain. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. So I, if you're watching right now by TV or your iPad or, or your computer or, or your phone, I, I just want you to know that you're not alone. We try to connect every week with members of our church and in this community, many of whom are in a room by uh, themselves. Some of you right now are in a room by, by yourself. But you're not alone. 
We are connected by the power of Christ, by the, the unshakable foundation that the worst things in this world, they never, ever get the final word. So maybe you've had a tough time finding people or finding your own people, but this moment with you tuned in means that you have a people. You have us. We love you so much and are glad that you're here. Well, Peter, in speaking to this, these early Christian churches, they were gathered in their homes, just like you. Sometimes they were by themselves. Sometimes they were with, with others. Sometimes they were with their families. But there was another global crisis going on in the world. Christians had been scattered out. The temple, all that they held so fast to as sure and certain, came crashing down in the year 72. And then Peter says something remarkable to these Christians who were starting to shake a little bit. He says, come to Jesus like living stones and let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. Well, what in the world is a living stone? What in the world is a living stone? I know a lot of us feel like dead stones, but here Peter the founder of this church, his name, by the way, Petros, means pebble or stone, the, the pillar of the church, the first pope, if you will. Pil Peter is saying, here's the good news. You are living stones. Sometimes amid this, this pandemic and life in general, the inability to be productive or the lack of space to be creative or the absence of human interaction, they make us feel like dead weight, defunct, or lifeless, like a, a stone, right? But resurrection tells us otherwise. Ordinary elements in the Bible tell an or extraordinary story, like bread and water and wine and stones. So I've been thinking a lot about stones this week and, and some of these images that Peter is pulling out of his, his Jewish tradition into the present and saying this is going to be the future. We're a part of a bigger story. We're part of the Jewish family. We're part of God's family now. He pulls these images out, and I just wonder if the early hearers like us now uh, think about Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. I'm so glad that Jason brought bricks in here. Because in that story in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, I think part of the way the people got themselves in trouble is God had given them stones with which to work. They decided those were not good enough. Let's make some bricks for ourselves, right? This failure to be obedient, this failure to make ourselves useful as God would have us be useful leads to pride in that story. Stones were a mile marker, actual stones, not brick, but actual stones in uh, the story of the people crossing over the Jordan River, set up 12 stones, the 12 stones of Gilgal, so that we, when people say, what do these stones mean? We have a narrative with them. Jacob used a stone for his pillow. David slew the mighty giant Goliath with a small, smooth pebble as a signal that God can take the smallest person and the smallest stone to slay the greatest giants in our life. In the New Testament, Jesus said, if these stones are, are if, if we are silent, even these stones will cry out. And on Easter morning, there was a rather large stone that came to life because it rolled on out of the way from Jesus' tomb, not to let Jesus out, not necessarily, but to let us look in to see that there is no stone large enough 
that this cornerstone has come out and is now alive forever and ever and ever. So for people hearing Peter's words, who are maybe looking across the valley at all the stones lying on top of, of one another, this must have been a confounding word to hear. Come to him, all of you living stones, and you're being built into a spiritual house. As Jason mentioned, we're surrounded by stones here, and I've been thinking a lot about this text and, and our space and our impact campaign. It's ever so close to beginning. Uh, these bricks and mortar all around us, they will uh, be impacted as we go through some, some renovations uh, in all of our, our buildings uh, over the next several months. Uh, but this temple that we call our, our sanctuary, it guides us in worship in so many wonderful ways. I, I've talked about the floor before and, and how this marble intentionally was laid. It comes in so many shapes and sizes and colors. Uh, and that's the foundation on which we stand. That's the people of, of God. We come in all shapes and sizes and colors. And on the outside, the exterior, if you look at those, they're all different lengths and sizes and shades as well because the beautiful array of, of God's people is meant to be just like that. It's a wonderful thing that welcomes us and on which we stand here uh, in worship together. But these stones, they protect us. These stones, they help with acoustics and amplification. This sanctuary, as I have learned over the past several months, it's a living organism, actually. These walls, they breathe. Uh, they, they allow air and moisture in and out. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing that we're surrounded by these living stones that tell a story. And that sometime at the turn of the century, our forefathers and mothers had a vision even as they headed into the Great Depression to say, let's lay up these stones for the living stones of God who will gather here generation after generation. So I've been thinking about this house, and I've been thinking about the spiritual house into which we are being built as living stones with Jesus as the cornerstone. I've been thinking about that a lot this week. And I believe that the truth is when tested by fires, or polar vortices, or murder wasps, or a pandemic, or even when we are shaken by another senseless act of racial terrorism against a young black man jogging down the street, that there's something at the core of who we are as resurrection people that say even that will not last. It hurts now. But Ahmaud Arbery's life lives on now with the communion of saints. And I stand on that truth as well. So the world shakes all around us. Our core cornerstone is supposed to be unshakable. Gosh, it's tried, is it not? It's tested. But when we allow our lives to be built into a spiritual house, the other thing I know is that we living stones, we're not perfect. We need constant work. We living stones, we come in a multitude of sizes and shapes too. Some have money and, and some don't. Some are well-educated and some, some are not very well-educated. Sometimes the living stones have clothes that don't match or bellies that are distended or bellies that are full. Sometimes God's living stones think they're not worthy enough to be in church so they hide in the shadows of the corridors. God's living stones, they're not 
always athletic or artistic or logical or soulful, but sometimes they get scholarships for these kind of things. God's people who once were not a people, but now are a people, we still have a long way to go. And I think about the day when children will be seated in these pews again, and in this moment of solemn silence, one of them's going to cry out, and it's going to be beautiful. And I think about our teenagers being back in our pews and passing notes or maybe sending a text message to somebody, you know, two feet away over there and, and how we might sneer and snicker at that. But at least they're here, we say to ourselves. At least they're here. People of God, once in darkness, but now in, in light, are people who, who don't always get relationships right or have made bad investments or have prodigal children or have prodigal parents but all of us are those who need to sing in moments where the world shakes because that's really all we know how to do sometimes. And so together we form a beautiful temple where God resides. All of the stones, you and me alike, are assured that we are now God's people. If everybody was here today, we would break into call and response right here because I would say, once you were not a people, and you would say, but now we are a people. Once you had not received mercy, and you would say, but now we have received mercy. You believe, and you belong to God, and you belong here. You have access to this mercy. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. That's the way Peter's word ends in this chapter. And so I want to say a word about this mercy business and why it's important to this conversation and why Peter ends with it, because it has everything to do with holiness. We're going to talk a lot more about holiness next week, so I hope you'll come back then. But here's the thing. I'm listening to this podcast this week where the host was talking about the unforgivable sin. You know, we read about that in the Gospels where it says the unforgivable sin is blasphemy against what or whom? The Holy Spirit. Right blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Um, and that means a lot of different things to a lot of different groups. Like, don't talk bad about the Holy Spirit or you will be lightning struck or a murder wasp will get you or something. I mean, that means that to some people. I get it. But when Jesus and his followers went around casting out demons and bringing about a better way of life and bringing people into the margins and speaking out against oppression, they always did so by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the unforgivable sin, said this host, is not a belief that the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. The unforgivable sin is believing there's no power in the holy at all. It's believing that you are not redeemable or that someone else is not redeemable. It's believing that you're too far gone to have access to mercy or that someone else is too far gone or has hurt you so badly that, that they too cannot have access to mercy. The unforgivable sin is believing that we have to remain dead stones all our live-long days and there's no way that God can take a stone-cold, cracked, dormant, life-like ours and redeem it or breathe new life into it or change its story. Well... Either the, the power of resurrection and the cornerstone on which my faith is is about changing one story and the story of lives around us, or I've got to find something else to do. 
It's easy for us to focus so intently on the world's bricks and mortar, the things that we, we build for ourselves, whatever that might be, that we overshoot, we forget about resurrection and how we're being built into something beyond our imagination. The kingdom of God where Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and without whom everything else that we've tried to build for ourselves, it just comes crashing down at the first sign of something wobbling and wavering. We, as living stones, are building a community where no one is rejected, where no one is forgotten, and where no one is unuseful to the kingdom of God, and where no one is silenced. We are God's people, and on that truth we firmly plant our feet, how firm that foundation is. God's people reside in a real world, and the real world has real challenges. Sometimes those challenges, they confront our identity, but in those moments, we're called to say something to the world that we know to be true about God. This unshakable foundation is it's not for small Christian thinking. The scope of resurrection is even more than global. It's cosmic. It's universal. And so at this midpoint in Eastertide, five weeks into Easter, maybe even with the joy and the, the resonances of Alleluia fading in our minds, and maybe your Easter lilies are like mine and they're on life support, they're trying to do their best. Yet the power of resurrection continues to overcome dead places, and it remains as real as it did 2,000 years ago because there's still death and murder to confront and overcome every day, not just at Easter. There are still oppressive systems to overturn, not just at Easter, but every single day. There's still life to cling to and to hold and to esteem as precious at any given moment, whether it's the birth of a child or someone asking for forgiveness or someone who is different from us. That life is precious to God. And as one person says, First Peter insists that the Christian life equips believers to proclaim that we are called from darkness and into marvelous light. And for today, our role is, is clear. We're compelled to act as living stones. Living stones do something. So we sing and we dance and we pray and we protest and we sit silent. No label or stereotype can define us because we are children of the risen Christ. You see, to be a living stone placed on an unshakable foundation of Christ means that we're shaped and we are formed to rise up against all the things that resurrection has overcome. All evil, injustice, oppression, racism, violence, murder, loneliness, grief, abandonment, no match for the power of resurrection. They may be temporary, but they're not eternal. So resurrection joy, resurrection faith, friends, is changing us. And if stones can live, then the dead places of life can live again. So brothers and sisters, you are God's people. Living stones, a spiritual house is being built this very moment and the movement of God is rising. Would you pray with me?
Almighty God, in the middle of this Eastertide season, we give you thanks that there was no stone large enough to hold Jesus back, that the stone itself came to life and rolled away to let us see that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and we know that Christ will come again, but that the power of resurrection and the power of the resurrected Christ is working this very moment to overcome all suffering and death in this world. As your living stones, help us to be agents of change as you have called us to be. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.